This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Coming to you from the Pacific Northwest, you're listening to Mythic Radio. The first time it happened, I was sleeping and woke up because I felt a hand on my leg and I realized that I couldn't move. And he come across this object on the ground, which was the shape of a flying saucer. So he jumped out of his pickup and went down there and there was four beings laying on the ground. When I raised my head back up, I was turning my head and out of my peripheral vision, I seen something hop to a tree. And it was tall, about seven, eight foot tall, and it was black, real hairy, like a gorilla. The first thing we saw was this winged creature, 14 foot wingspan at least, it was huge. It almost covered half the road. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Nick. Thank you for tuning in today. Today is Sunday, August 27th, and this is episode number eight. You can visit us over at mythicradio.com and share your own experiences by clicking on the Tell Your Story link. You can also get involved by joining our forums at mythicradio.com and by following us on Twitter at Mythic Radio Live and on Facebook at Mythic Radio. Don't forget, you can also find the Mythic Radio podcast on Spreaker, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, TuneIn, and YouTube, depending on where you prefer to listen. On today's episode, we'll share one of our listeners' personal experiences with an apparition in the workplace. Following that, we'll turn our attention to the skies over Bass Strait on the continent of Australia, where a 38-year-old missing person case remains unexplained to this day. Today's listener story comes to us from Jessica in Austin, Texas. Jessica writes in and says, It was around 7 p.m. when I was wrapping up the workday. It was autumn, so it was dark outside, and I was the only employee left working in the office. I was tired and cross-eyed from the day's monotonous duties. I looked up from my desk to see a white, misty figure glide in front of my office door. It was in the running position, as if it were a racer, running toward the winning prize. At first I thought it was my imagination from being so tired and cross-eyed, but when I told my boss the next day, she claimed to have seen the same figure on the morning of the day I had witnessed it. Her office is at the end of the hallway, on the opposite end from mine. It passed by her office in the same way it passed by mine. Jessica, I appreciate you writing in and sharing that story with us. Please feel free to keep us updated on any phenomena you experience in the near future. Next, we move on to the main topic of today's show, which takes us to Australia, in particular, an area known as Bass Strait. Named after George Bass, the strait is approximately 250 kilometers wide and 500 kilometers long, with an average depth of 60 meters. The widest opening is about 350 kilometers between Cape Portland on the northeastern tip of Tasmania 
and Point Hicks on the Australian mainland. Many vessels have disappeared without a trace or left little evidence of their passing. Myths and legends of piracy and supernatural phenomena similar to those of the Bermuda Triangle are common in Bass Strait due to its treacherous combination of wind and sea conditions. It is this location that holds one of the greatest unexplained mysteries in Australian aviation history and involves the disappearance of a young man by the name of Frederick Valentich. Frederick Valentich was born in Melbourne, Australia on June 9, 1958 and lived with his parents and three siblings. He had always been interested in aviation and had even applied to enlist with the Royal Australian Air Force. Valentich was also a member of the Air Training Corps and on February 24, 1977, he was issued a student pilot license. He received his private pilot license the following September. Valentich had a class 4 instrument rating and 150 hours of flight experience. His lifelong dream had always been to become a commercial airline pilot. On October 21, 1978, 20-year-old Frederick Valentich boards a Cessna 182 light aircraft with the intention of flying to King Island in the Bass Strait. According to the flight plan he had filed with Moribin Airport in Melbourne, he planned to fly southwest along Cape Otway before heading south across Bass Strait and eventually landing at King Island. At 6.19 p.m., Valentich departs Moribin Airport and contacts the Melbourne Flight Service Unit, informing them of his departure. The conditions that day are reported as being clear with good visibility and light winds. 41 minutes later, at 7 p.m., Valentich reports reaching Cape Otway. At 7.06 p.m., Valentich again contacts Melbourne Flight Service and speaks with Officer Steve Roby, but this time he inquires about other possible aircraft that might be in the area below 5,000 feet. Officer Roby tells Valentich that there are no other known aircraft at that altitude. Valentich tells Roby that he can see a large, unidentified aircraft, which appears to have four bright landing lights. Valentich is unable to confirm exactly what type of aircraft it is, but he says it is moving at a high rate of speed and that it has just passed within 1,000 feet above him. He also reports that the aircraft is now approaching him from the east and says that it seems as though the craft is playing a sort of game with him. For the next six minutes, Valentich and Roby are in communications regarding the strange unknown craft. At one point during the transmission, Valentich tells Roby that it is not an aircraft and that it has a green light and a metallic shiny exterior. At 7.11 p.m., Valentich tells Melbourne Flight Service that his engine is rough idling. Roby asks Valentich what his intentions are and Valentich states that he is going to King Island. Valentich then says that the object is hovering on top of him and again states that it's not an aircraft. From this point on, Valentich is unresponsive, but the microphone remains open. During the remaining 17 seconds of the transmission, a strange scraping sound can be heard coming through the microphone. What I'm going to play for you now is a reenactment of the radio transmission between Valentich and the Melbourne Flight Service Unit. If you would like to view the full transcript of the flight recording, you can visit our forums at mythicradio.com. 
Here is the condensed reenactment. Melbourne, this is Delta Sierra Juliet. Is there any known traffic below 5,000 feet? No known traffic. Seems to be a large aircraft below 5,000 feet. What type of aircraft is it? I cannot confirm. It's four bright, seems to me like landing lights. The aircraft has just passed over me at at least 1,000 feet above. Is there any Air Force aircraft in the vicinity? No known aircraft in the vicinity. Seems to be playing some sort of game. He's flying over me. Delta Sierra Juliet, it's not an aircraft, it's... Can you describe the, uh, the aircraft? As it's flying past, it's a long shape. Cannot identify it, it has such speed. It's before me right now, Melbourne. How large would the, um, the object be? Seems like it's stationary. What it's doing right now is orbiting. The thing is just orbiting on top of me. It's also got a green light and a sort of metallic-like... It's shiny on the outside. It's just vanished. Is the aircraft still with you? Say again. Is the aircraft still with you? Now approaching from the southwest. The, the engines are rough idling. The thing is coughing. What are your intentions? My intentions are to go to King Island, Melbourne. That strange aircraft hovering on top of me again. It's hovering and it's not an aircraft. What I want to play for you now is the actual recording of the final 17 seconds of the radio transmission where you can hear an odd scraping sound. This is the actual recording. Roby tries to contact Valentich several more times, but receives no response. At 7.12pm, a rescue alert is given, and when Frederick Valentich fails to arrive at King Island by 7.33pm, a sea and air search is initiated. Rescue teams search for seven days, but neither Valentich nor his aircraft are ever recovered. The Department of Transportation conduct a two-week-long investigation but are unable to determine a cause for the unexplained disappearance. An edited version of the in-flight recording was examined by three researchers, two government agencies, and two universities, both in Australia and in the United States. Dr. Richard F. Haynes, a former NASA researcher, studied the last 17 seconds of the tape where a strange metallic scraping sound could be heard. He stated that he could not determine the pattern or frequency of the sound. As the weeks went by, new evidence surfaced that only added to the confusion. Frederick Valentich's family told investigators that he was flying to King Island in order to pick up crayfish, but he had told Moorabin Airport that he was planning on picking up passengers at King Island. When authorities investigated deeper, they discovered that Valentich had not ordered any crayfish and that there were not any crayfish even available that day to begin with. Furthermore, investigations revealed that there were no passengers waiting to be picked up on King Island. 
After news of the disappearance became public, a number of people came forward with eyewitness accounts of UFO activity in the same area that Valentich's plane went missing. Some claimed to have seen a green light that seemed to follow Frederick's plane. Witnesses also claimed that his plane was in a steep dive when they saw it. One man, Roy Manifold, had set up a time-lapse camera on the shoreline to photograph the sunset near the Cape Otway lighthouse. When he had the pictures developed, he noticed a strange object that appeared to be exiting the water and moving at a high rate of speed. Roy Manifold said that he had taken the pictures at approximately 6.47 p.m., which would have been about 20 minutes before Valentich contacted the Melbourne Flight Service. The photos were examined by a Phoenix, Arizona group called Ground Saucer Watch, as well as other independent experts. The overall consensus was that the photographs were authentic and showed an unknown flying object of moderate dimensions surrounded by a cloud-like vapor or exhaust residue. Five years after Valentich's disappearance, the government reportedly found parts of aircraft wreckage in Bass Strait with partial matching serial numbers. This information was recovered in a 315-page government file that authorities claimed had been lost. Frederick's father, Guido Valentich, told the press that he hoped his son had been taken by a UFO and had not crashed. Guido also told the press that his son used to study UFOs as a hobby using information he had obtained from the Air Force. He also stated that his son was not the type of person who would make up stories. He said that prior to his disappearance, Frederick had worried about attacks from UFOs. There are many theories as to what happened to Valentich that evening over Bass Strait. One of the more popular assumptions is that Valentich staged his own disappearance. According to flight records, after reaching Cape Otway, he would have had enough fuel to fly an additional 800 kilometers. The other odd fact is despite ideal weather conditions, Valentich's aircraft was never plotted on radar near Cape Otway. Melbourne police also received reports of a light aircraft making a mysterious landing near Cape Otway at the same time of Valentich's disappearance. Other people speculate that Valentich became disoriented and was flying upside down. This could account for the strange lights he saw above him, which would have actually been the reflection of his own plane in the water. Some investigators theorize that he may have committed suicide, but his family, friends, and girlfriend insist that he was happy in his life and would never resort to such an act. The Valentich family still holds out hope that Frederick will someday return to them. I'm sure he would have many stories to tell if he does. But unless that day comes, we may never truly know what happened to Frederick Valentich. In 2012, the Australian government's Department of Transport file was opened under the 20-year rule. This document is open for everyone to view and download at the National Archives of Australia website. The National Archives of Australia file reference on this document is series number B1497, control symbol V116 forward slash 783, forward slash 1047 item barcode 1049137 title DSJ Cape Otway to King Island 21st October 1978 
Aircraft Missing, Valentich. For anyone interested in this case, I highly recommend that you download and examine the file. I'd like to hear what you guys have to say, and I'd like to know if you or anyone that you know may have knowledge or information pertaining to this case. I encourage you to visit our forums on mythicradio.com, where you'll find all the topics that we discuss here on the podcast. It's a great place to ask questions and share your own experiences. You can even start new topics on what interests you. If you have a question or story for me, you may contact me at mythicradio at gmail.com or visit mythicradio.com and click on the Tell Your Story link. Thanks to everyone for joining me today, and I'd like to remind you that if you enjoy the show, please click the follow and like buttons. It helps us know what kind of content you find interesting. Please join me on the next episode of the Mythic Radio Podcast. We'll be taking an in-depth look at the history and stigma surrounding one of the most infamous games of all time, the Ouija board. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time here on Mythic Radio. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.